Hello, and welcome to the Heavenbound Podcast. My name is Jason Harden. I'm here with Roger Schaus, and we're opening the Bible in search of fuel for your spiritual journey. This is where we talk about life the way it was meant to be and what it means to be a disciple of Jesus in the 21st century. Wherever you are, thanks for joining us on the journey today. It's so good to have each of you with us today. Today marks uh, the end of a series we've been doing this month, and it's a series that uh, I don't think we are honest enough with sometimes and even mentioned very often publicly. It's what I wish someone had told me. And uh, the idea simply comes from uh, what life is about. Sometimes we are in a job and we have hired into place, and then once we get into it, we've realized it's not what I thought it was going to be. I wish they had told me this. Sometimes we see that transition from high school to college that uh, it seems so glamorous. And then once you get in there, you realize, man, this is just a lot different than I thought it was going to be. And so so what we've talked about in this series is in our first lesson, we talked about the journey can be hard. It can be long. And uh, when you become a Christian, it's not just flip a switch and next day you go to heaven. Uh, for, for a lot of us, it's decades and decades and decades of walking with Jesus. And that can be long and that can be hard. Our second lesson, we talked about how Satan doesn't leave you alone. And uh, again, that that's a, a myth we may have that once I become a Christian, he'll go after other people. He'll come after you hard, and he'll keep coming after you until you leave this place. And then last time, we talked about some brethren can disappoint, and that's that's just sometimes hard to deal with, is that we have expectations that everyone's going to go by the same thing, everyone's going to be above board, everyone's going to be honest, everyone's going to do these things, and and sometimes it's not that way, and sometimes leaders can disappoint us, and that, that all those things can kind of just kind of cripple our faith a little bit if it's not strong in the Lord. And so today, to kind of put a bow on this series here, the last one we want to talk about is there are moments when I'm not sure I'm going to make it to heaven. And again, I think for reality, a lot of us have thought these thoughts. I know a man who preached over 60 years of his life, and in his closing days, that's a statement he made. He wasn't sure he was going to make it. And, and that's kind of a troubling thought. And uh, we all want to have the assurance, the blessed assurance, and the confidence that we're walking with the Lord. But there are moments uh, sometimes uh, that a person just wonders at. And so we're going to kind of, kind of talk about these things and look at, that, look at some of these things. And I think as we begin this, I think a great contrast to look at in, in our Gospels is the life of Judas and the life of Peter. Uh, we both know that at the end of the Lord's life here, right before the cross, they both let the Lord down. Peter denied the Lord three times, and Judas betrayed him. And and really, if you had to put on, the, on a piece of paper or on the table the, the major differences between denial and betrayal, there's not a lot of differences. They're, they're, they're very, very similar. But the outcome was so different. Uh, as Judas returns to money, he goes out and commits suicide. He hangs himself. Peter crushed, weeping, but he comes back to the Lord, and he becomes useful to the Lord. And we have that mighty sermon in Acts 2. We see Peter going to Cornelius in Acts 10. We have 1 Peter, 2 Peter. We find him to be someone who became useful to the Lord. And so uh, that brings up this idea of of moments when I'm not sure if I'm going to make it or not, as we think about that. Yeah, in many ways, makes me think of last year. Our congregational theme was finishing what was started and you bringing up 
Judas and Peter makes me think of some of these iconic videos from the Olympics. It seems like you see these uh, at least once every four years in the Summer Olympics. Someone has trained and trained and denied themselves and just been so disciplined and in the biggest race of their life, they clip one of those hurdles or they stumble in the feed of another runner and they just fall flat on their face. I, I, I know when I was growing up, there was this iconic video of uh, a runner just, I mean, painfully limping along. And I forget where he was from. I, I believe it was Great Britain. His father jumped out of the stands and ran over to where he was and and got him uh, under his arm and and carried him the rest of the way. Those sorts of things are, are powerful, right? But the reason that we remember them is that determination to finish what was started But sometimes that wanes, right? Sometimes we feel like, well, I have fallen so hard and so far, there's no way that I can get myself up. Or I thought this was the way it was going to be, and it just hasn't been like that. I, I'm in a Bible class or I hear a sermon where Paul in 2 Timothy 4 talks about in the present and even the, the past tense, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. And that sure does sound like I don't have to be an apostle in order to have that confidence, but I don't always feel that confidence. So what then? Absolutely. You know, and your analogy to the Olympics makes me think of the old show, Wide World of Sports, where yeah. they had the thrill of victory and the guy, the guy's <laughs> breaking through the rib and his arms up in the air and then the agony of defeat. And he always yeah. had this skier who's crashing and, and just, <laughs> and, and, and I think a lot of times we want to be that runner with our arms up in the air, crossing the finish line, first place. But we look at our lives and we're really like that skier who's just crashing down the hillside and say, I don't know if I can ever make it. And, and we just take one step up and then it's like two steps back. And so, so let, let's talk about some reasons why a person may feel this way. And I think one reason is grace just seems to be too good to be true. Yeah. Um, in, in the book of Ephesians in chapter one, as Paul was talking about this salvation we have in Christ, he says in seven and eight, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us lavished. He didn't just give us a drop. He poured it out. And when we think about who we are and what we've done, it just doesn't seem right. And the answer is, it's not right. It doesn't seem fair, and it's not fair. And God treats us much better than we deserve. And and that can be that can be a moment where it's hard for us just to kind of get that together in our heart and our faith, that grace seems to be too good to be true, but it's there. And the blood of Jesus proves that. Uh, Romans 5 verse 8, God demonstrates his love by the, by the death of Jesus on the cross. And so, so we, we just need to understand that and appreciate that, that God wants you in heaven. God's willing to forgive. 
And I think that's, that's a hard part we have to deal with. I think that was Judas's problem. I think he, he felt like he crossed the line. And no matter what happened, he was too bad. He's done too wrong to ever be forgiven. And when we get that way, then, then we're given up on God's grace and we will actually think, I don't think I'm going to make it. Yeah. And that's, that's a terrible place to be. Well, I think you hear that when it, you mentioned, you know, a, a man who had preached the gospel for 60 plus years and, um, he's not the only example of this. I, I don't know how many aged, veteran, dedicated disciples of Jesus I have talked with over the years who will say something like, well, I just don't know that I've done enough. And I believe the right answer in that moment is, well, you haven't. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know that I've been good enough. And I know the answer in that scenario ought to be, well, you're not. You're not good enough. You haven't done enough. If you could live 10,000 lifetimes, you would not have done enough. But that is what makes, for instance, the Apostle Paul's talk of grace in Ephesians so precious. We need to believe the truth of Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9. By grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Listen to this, not a result of works so that no one may boast. That doesn't mean that we don't do anything. The very next verse describes us as his workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works. But if I have this sense that, well, grace is too good to be true, that is true. And I need to make sure that I stay sensitive to the amazing nature of God's grace. I will never be good enough to make it. That is what makes Jesus so special. Yeah, and, and I think I think just within our DNA, for some reason, we just have it, the idea of salvation by works. Mm. And, you know, I go to work, and I put in the hours, and I get paid. I get paid for what I do. That's that's our system. Uh, you do the crime, you do the time. That's 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 just kind of a, it's, it's kind of a trade-off. You do this, this is the results. You do good, here's your blessing. You do bad, here's your punishment. And grace isn't based upon that. And so it's, that's just really, really hard, I think, for us to really deal with as we think about the goodness of God. I think one thing that helps a person to do, to deal with this is just to read that story over and over of the prodigal son. Mm. He came home hoping just to be a servant. Uh, can you imagine having, having grown up in that house, but then hoping at the best that you would stand behind your father's chair, and whenever his cup was empty, you'd have to go fill it up. <laughs> whenever this obnoxious brother who really didn't like you, his plate was empty, you'd go fill up with more food, and you serve them. And then at the end of the day, you'd go out to the barn with the other servants, and you'd sleep there, and you'd eat there, and that was your life. That's what he was hoping for. But when he came home, he saw the reality of grace. Bring the sandals. Bring the robe. Bring the ring. Let's slaughter the fatted calf. Let's celebrate my son was dead, but now he is alive. That's grace. And so that's how God views us. Uh, was the prodigal deserving? Absolutely not. 
And I think, I think a lot of Jewish people in that first audience, the very first ears to hear that story might have shook their head. They might have thought that that father in that story was spineless and weak. And why are you celebrating someone who abused your name and wasted your money? It wasn't his money. It was your money you gave him. But it just illustrates the grace of God. And it showed for those Pharisees in that audience how unlike God they were and how far away from God that they were. So reading that story helps me. It helps me realize that, Yes, I've not done enough. I will never do enough. There are times I stayed in my easy chair when I should have been out doing things. There's times when I was just being lazy when I could have been doing more. But it's not by works that's going to save me. It's grace through faith. Yeah, if I could throw out another thing to read, uh, you want a good reflection on what we're talking about today. Read the very end of Matthew 26, where Peter denies that he even knows Jesus and goes out and weeps bitterly. And then in the same sitting, read First Peter. And I think that a contrast, that growth that you see, that understanding is a powerful thing where this man tasted the amazing grace of God, and then he wanted everybody to understand it. All right, Roger, you're giving us a short list of things to wrestle with when we're not sure we're going to make it. Number one, is grace really that amazing? What else? Well, I, I think coupled with this, I think it's sometimes hard to forgive ourselves. Uh, you know, we read passages like in Jeremiah, repeated in the book of Hebrews, that God remembers our sins no more. Well, we do. We do remember them, you know. I mean, you, you, you can be in your 40s and 50s and 60s and still remember what you did when you were a teenager. And, you know, we, we understand God forgives us, but sometimes it's just hard to forgive ourselves. And because of that, we just, I'm just not deserving. I, I just not, you know, I'm just not good enough and I should not have done those things. And, and so I think part of this is if God has forgiven me, I need to forgive myself. And I think the last person that we will forgive is ourselves. And so we will punish ourselves when God doesn't. And we will keep ourselves from blessings and joy when God is ready to give us the fatted calf. You know, God says, come on into the celebration. And we say, no, no, I'll just stay in the barn tonight. No, that's not what God wants. And so uh, I think, again, part of this feeling that we have, I'm just don't think I'm going to make it is because we remember these mistakes. We remember those words we said. We remember the pain we caused others. Even though they've been washed white by the blood of Jesus, they're still in our hearts. Yeah. It, I mentioned Paul's confidence in Second Timothy 4 a moment ago. It is the same Paul in his first letter to Timothy who describes himself as the foremost of sinners, right? He knew, he remembered. I mean, he describes for us in his own words, having been a blasphemer, persecutor, insolent opponent, but he uses that memory to draw attention to the incredible mercy of the Lord Jesus and the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, this living hope that he dedicated his life to sharing with with others. And if we could follow his lead when those memories are haunting us, we just can't 
imagine how in the world did we get to the point where we thought that was ever a good idea. If we could take that and use it as fuel for how amazing is the gospel of Jesus Christ? And who do I know that needs to hear this? Who can I share this with? Not because I'm good enough to share it, but because he was good enough to save even me. You know, and, and I think another thing we need to add to this little list we're making, you know, moments uh, we're not sure we're going to make it. I think we fear having too much confidence. Mm. Because if I have too much confidence, it sounds like I'm a little bit arrogant, as if I deserve heaven, as if, you know, I'm going to walk up to heaven's gate and pound on the gate. Here I am. Open it up. <laughs> and, you know, we, we know that spirit is wrong. And so we go from one extreme to the other extreme. And neither extreme is right. And so, so what we need to talk about just a little bit is how can I have confidence, but, but keep that in the basket of being humble? Because it's not confidence and arrogance, it's confidence with humility. So, so let, let's talk about that. You know, Paul would say in 2 Timothy 1 verse 12, for this reason I also suffer these things, but I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard that which I've entrusted to him until that day. There's a sense of confidence there. I'm convinced of what God is going to do. So, Jason, let's let's talk about biblical confidence as yeah. God wants us to have. Yeah, well, if I could just give a little plug from a few weeks ago, I uh, messed around a little with that theme in that boasting in the best sermon uh, that is is freely available at charlestownroad.org. I think that's exactly what we're talking about here, that um, the, the Apostle Paul puts our boasting in perspective, that that is, that is foolish. We have no reason to boast, right? We have no reason to have confidence in the flesh. We've already touched on some passages along those lines, but he doesn't tell us then, well, you, you just need to stop boasting. What he does is redirect that boasting to borrow from our theme for the year, boast in the best. He turns that boasting right side up so that we're boasting in the cross. I I love how David in Psalm 34 says, my soul makes its boast in the Lord. And I think that's exactly where it needs to be. I'm boasting in the Lord who has saved me, and I am confident not on my own track record, not on my own perfection or worthiness, but I'm confident in him. Again, one more time to borrow from Paul. I know whom I have believed and I am confident in him. He is able to preserve and save what I've entrusted to him until that day that I stand before him. So, so that confidence, as you're describing to us, it's not because I, you know, I've got a star on my attendance chart. I've been yeah. to every service this year. I read every, you know, daily Bible reading we're supposed to read. I, I always had my Bible class homework done. I've, you know, it's not about us. No, it's about God. It's about God. And so our confidence is that I know my Father. 
And and so again, back to that prodigal story. What what brought the prodigal home? Did did he miss his bed? He didn't talk about that. Did he miss his brother? Obviously, he did not miss his brother. But <laughs> but but what he he remembered was he remembered how well the servants were treated. And it wasn't the servants; it's how generous and how good my father. I know my father, yeah. and I know how good he is. That brought him home. And so when we when we have this understanding that God is good, even though I fumble every time the ball's handed to me, God is good, even though I I, I sometimes am lazy. God is good, even though I, I try, but that doesn't look so good sometimes. God is good. You know, I've got a million grandkids almost, almost there, but uh, uh, they're always, always drawing me little pictures. And I, I put them on back of doors at home, back of doors in my office here. And a lot of times they're just little stick figures. And there's usually a little one and a big one. And I, I, I figure the big one's me. And I'd say, well, who's this little one? And they'll tell them the, the, who it is. Um, now, if I took it down here to the Louisville Art Museum and said, man, you know, my granddaughters drew this. I would like to have a, a special Saturday to display this. They would escort me out. <laughs> they would escort me out. If I, if I, if I took a picture of that and put it on eBay and say, you know, uh, beginning bid $50. Zero, zero, okay? But to me, it means everything. Yeah. And, and I think that, that's, that's a part of that relationship we have to look at, is that when, when our works are done, everything we've tried to do, at the end of the day, it looks like a little stick figure drawing. It's not much. But the God of heaven loves us and loves what we've done, and that's that idea. The Hebrew writer would say this at the last verse of chapter 4, Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of, time of need. And two things come out of that passage. First of all, that we need mercy. We need the forgiveness of God, and we need help. We need help in time of need. And we do this. We don't come up there trembling. We don't come up there fearfully, but we come with confidence. But that confidence is not in us. We don't walk up there and say, God, I bet you're so proud to have me on your team. Never. Confidence is I wouldn't be here if it was not for Jesus. Confidence is I'm so thankful the way you've turned me out, God. Thankful for the hope you have in me. Thankful for your patience with me. That is the confidence that we have. What a powerful picture to end this series on. You know, I'm I'm afraid our human tendency going all the way back to the Garden of Eden when I know that I've fallen short or I'm not sure I'm going to make it, the temptation is to hide. The temptation is to distance myself from God. You know, this this thing you'll hear every once in a while from people who say, well, I know that I need God, but I'm not good enough. And so I'm going to wait until I get myself straightened out and then I'll come to him. And that is the exact opposite, Roger, of what you just read us from Hebrews chapter four. In those moments when I'm not sure I'm going to make it, I need to look him squarely in the face. I need to remind myself of how much he loved this world to the point of giving his own son the good news of Jesus Christ that can change anybody's life, give anybody hope, everybody fuel for their hearts to make their way home. What a powerful, powerful note 
to draw this whole series to a close with. What I wish someone had told me. I've needed this series. The journey can seem long at times. Number one, Satan isn't going to leave you alone. Number two, some brethren are going to disappoint you. Number three, and verse, uh, and number four, there are moments when we're not sure we're going to make it, but we have not been left on our own. Roger, thanks for talking through this series with me, for joining me in the studio today. Thanks to all of you for listening to the Heaven Bound podcast. We hope our conversation has helped you set your mind on things above and given you a little more fuel for the journey. There is no doubt in my mind someone you know could use these four discussions, and we would be honored if you would take the time to share it with them. Always remember, when you're walking with Jesus, you're heaven bound, and the best is yet to come.